I had taken a look with my binoculars and noticed an approximately 10-foot circular wall rising from the landward side of the lighthouse that had clearly not been part of the original construction. On the seaward side, another wall, an even stouter-looking fortification high on the crumbling dune, topped with broken glass and, as I drew nearer, I could see crenellations that created lines of sight for rifles. It was all in danger of falling down the slope onto the beach below, but for it not to have done so already, whoever had built it must have dug its foundations deep. It appeared that some past defenders of the lighthouse had been at war with the sea. I didn't like this wall because it provided evidence of a very specific kind of insanity. At some point, too, someone had taken the time and effort to rappel down the sides of the lighthouse and attach jagged shards of glass with some strong glue or other adhesive. These glass daggers started about one-third of the way up and continued to the penultimate level just below the glass-enclosed beacon. At that point, a kind of metal collar extended out a good two or three feet, and this defensive element had been enhanced with rusty barbed wire. Someone had tried very hard to keep others out. I thought of the crawler and the words on the wall. I thought of the fixation with the lighthouse and the fragments of notes left by the last expedition. But despite these discordant elements, I was glad to reach the shadow of that cool, dank wall around the landward side of the lighthouse. From that angle, no one could shoot at me from the top or the window in the middle. I had passed through the first gauntlet. If the psychologist was inside, she had decided against violence for now. The defensive wall on the Lambert side had reached a level of disrepair that reflected years of neglect. A large, irregular hole led to the lighthouse's front door. That door had exploded inward, and only fragments of wood clung to the rusted hinges. A purple flowering vine had colonized the lighthouse wall and curled itself around the remains of the door on its left side. There was comfort in that, for whatever had happened with such violence must have occurred long ago. End quote. In the film, the lighthouse has root-like growths inside and out, radiating from the holes left by the crash we saw at the start of the film, but does not seem to have been consciously altered as in the book. The bones are closer to the lighthouse and seem more a mass grave or an art installation than remnants of a massacre. But before we get to the lighthouse, before we get to the bones, there are the trees. Crystalline trees rising up from the sand, silicon-based life created by the shimmer or mere mimicry. Minute 105, Lomax will ask Lena of the alien, was it carbon-based? She will answer, I don't know. Historian Alex Safe Cummings argues in her blog, Subliminal Sensibility, 4th April 2018, quote, This question is so central to the film. Sci-fi has unfortunately tended to assume that aliens would be humanoid, as in Star Trek where they're just humans with pointy ears or ridges on their nose, or at least with a head, arms, and legs, like Close Encounters or any number of films. For obvious reasons, writers and filmmakers find these kinds of aliens more relatable for audiences. But the shimmer is a type of life, both an organism and an ecosystem, and a species. It's structured and organized in a way we can't even conceptualize, and its form of reproduction is mysterious despite being ubiquitous. Mutations, contamination, duplication. Who knows if it's carbon or silicon-based? That's asking the wrong question. It's not a monster or a villain per se, because it does not really seem to have intentionality. It's only carrying out what its underlying genetic, if that's the right word, program tells it to do. It will mutate and merge with other life around it, and in the end, create copies of itself. There's a lot in the book, and to some extent in the movie, about the theme of doubles or duplication. It's an interesting theme because doubles often signify duplicity, or an imposter, like the fake Kane who comes home, or Lena herself as a dishonest marital partner. Can you trust this person? Is this really the person I know and love? 
These are questions people ask in many a marriage. Ex Machina had similar themes too, because the history of literature and films about robots often have the making the new artificial intelligence or life as a copy or double of the human creator. One thinks of Frankenstein and the biblical portrayal of humankind's creation here as well. copy might not be trustworthy, end quote. This is a beach, or maybe the construct of a beach. The sand shines as Lena walks downstage, left to right, past increasingly large crystal structures. Between the crystal trees coming into frame, the bright sun through the clouds, or simply Lena walking, determined, we might not notice what looks like a corpse on its side, half embedded in sand in the foreground. Second ten, as Lena is about to walk behind a large crystal tree on the right, we cut to angle from farther back, seemingly tracking right past that same tree, but Lena is farther away now, and walking upstage, still left to right. Another day, another resumption, another beach, another iteration. Camera rises slowly, panning right. Second 18, the lighthouse comes into right edge of frame. Notably, the light is lit. A canal separates the space between Lena and the lighthouse, both roughly the same size in the frame before we cut, second 24, to bones in the sand, grassy dunes beyond, and crystal trees beyond that. No Lena, no lighthouse. Four inverted torsos, rib cages shoved into the sand, spines rising. From the left, one has a red piece of cloth atop it, one has what might be a belt and holster left behind, one still has its pelvic bone attached, and the last has a green cloth hanging from it. Behind this row of torsos is a row of ten skulls, then a row, that we cannot make them out in detail yet from this angle, of arms and maybe legs, the bones lined roughly parallel to one another. We will see on the reverse later that they point to the lighthouse. We will see in minute 87 there are five more torsos, rib cages, spines, pelvic bones, beyond those limbs. And the numbers seem wrong. Not enough bodies to go with the skulls. And we might wonder what expedition did this, or is this where many men died and were left, never having quite arrived at the lighthouse itself? Or did the shimmer create this as some sort of echo of a human cemetery back in Ville Perdue? We, of course, will never know the answer for sure. Lena comes up over the grass beyond the bones. And we reverse, second 34, but from too far away to see the bones. The lighthouse dominates the center of frame. Five crystal trees dominate the midground. More crystal trees and then a regular tree line beyond those. Lena, tiny now, approaches the lighthouse door. Second 44. In front of the bones again, Lena is close, walking toward left of camera. We have skipped any reaction she might have had to all these bones, though from her path, she has walked around them rather than through. She slows, looking up. She looks down again and keeps walking. Camera pans left with her as she swings her rifle up to hold it with both hands. She doesn't quite reach the lighthouse as time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside.
Salvation is all we are. 